you have your Bibles this morning, would you turn with me to Habakkuk chapter 1? We're going through the book of Habakkuk <clears throat> this morning. And uh, Habakkuk's question, and the question is, how long will God allow sin and corruption to continue in Israel? We started this off, we did two, uh, a couple weeks ago, two weeks ago, we started looking at Habakkuk. Habakkuk chapter 1, verses 2 through 4 is the primary passage we'll be looking at today. We'll be in a few other passages of Scripture uh, as well, but Habakkuk 1, 2 to 4 is our primary passage. In verse 2 of Habakkuk chapter 1, there in the Minor Prophets, uh, O Lord, how long shall I cry, and thou wilt not hear? Even cry out unto thee of violence, and thou wilt not save. Why dost thou show me iniquity, and cause me to behold grievance? For spoiling and violence are before me, and there are that raise up strife and contention. Therefore the law is slacked, and judgment doth never go forth, for the wicked doth compass about the righteous, and therefore wrong judgment proceedeth. As we look at this passage of Scripture and his uh, intimate relationship, he's crying out to God. He's saying, God, why is there so much evil? And he knows God like Enoch and Job and Abraham and Moses knew God. He observed the sin and the moral corruption of the society and the oppression that had just permeated. I mean, it was completely full of their society. And I would say it's there in our society today. All the prophets ascribe these things and they condemn them. In fact, in Amos chapter 2, uh, in Amos chapter 2, if you look there, in Amos chapter 2, we're going to look at a few passages here. Hosea, Joel, Amos. Amos chapter 2, go back a few books. Uh, Amos chapter 2. And in here, just a little bit of review, uh, Amos was a herdman that God called out of being a herdman, a you know, sheep herder and that sorts, uh, to be a prophet. And uh, in Amos chapter 2, one of the things that he turns his attention to Judah, and they despised the law of the Lord and his commandments. And uh, look with me at verse 1 of Amos chapter 2. Thus saith the Lord, for three transgressions of Moab, and for four, I will not turn away the punishment thereof, because he burned the bones of the king of Edom into line. But I will send a fire upon Moab, and it shall devour the palaces of Kirioth, and Moab shall die with tumult, with shouting, and with the sound of trumpet. And I will cut off the judge from the midst thereof, and will slay all the princes thereof with him, saith the Lord. Thus saith the Lord, for three transgressions of Judah and for four, I will not turn away the punishment thereof. Why? Because they have despised the law of the Lord and have not kept his commandments and their lies cause them to err after the which their fathers have walked. But I will send a fire upon Judah and it shall devour the palaces of Jerusalem. God is saying here, and, and though Uzziah was a good king who sought the Lord, the people continued to walk in a disobedience to him. And there were hypocrites who professed the law of God with their mouth, but they did not obey it. They despised it, as the scriptures say. And so there's a devouring that's going on. Their lies caused them to err, as we find in verse 4. They walked after the traditions of their fathers as opposed to walking after the tradition of God's word and God's law. This is what this is, is they went after lying vanities. And uh, they would go after idolatry. That's what this is. He says, I will send a fire and it shall devour the palaces thereof. In the year 586 B.C., at the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, this prophecy was fulfilled and Jerusalem was burned. And the first temple was burned. Now, 
want to read a little bit of uh, illustration here for you. David Cloud writes this. He said, I have lived in an idolatrous society for 26 years as a missionary. This was a number of years ago. He says, I know the terrible fruit of idolatry, how it corrupts individuals and entire nations. This is what happened to Israel. She turned from the living God to idols and was morally corrupted thereby. Idolatry is not about God and neighbor. It is all about me. It's all about getting as much as I can, as fast as I can, any way I can, for me. There is no love, of, no love for God and neighbor, only for me and mine. You can't trust anyone. Children oppress parents, parents oppress children, brothers oppress brothers, uncles oppress nephews. In such a society, corruption leavens everything. You are likely to be cheated on every transaction. There are thousands of ways to cheat and oppress if you have that intention. A man's promise means nothing. You can't trust anyone to treat you with kindness and honesty. You can't trust the government or the legal system. A government service that is supposed to be free is rarely actually free. And if you can get a free service, it will probably be painfully slow unless you grease the wheels with a payment on the side. It is nearly impossible to get justice without paying for it. And if your opponents pay more, you can forget justice. In the eyes of every government official, every lawyer, every judge, you are only an opportunity for oppression. And the lower down you are in society, the less protection you have. End quotes. I would say that's pretty... That's a pretty good summary of where we're at today here in our country and in other countries of the world. I think you can attest that, that this is the very thing that's happening. In verses 7 through 8 of Amos chapter 2, God's condemning specifically the idolatry. In verse 7, let's look at verse 6 uh, through 8. Thus saith the Lord, for three transgressions of Israel, for four, I will not turn away the punishment thereof, because they sold the righteous for silver. They're selling Christians or believers in God for money and the poor for a pair of shoes that pant after the dust of the earth on the head of the poor and turn aside the way of the meek and a man and his father will go in unto the same maid to profane my holy name. And they lay themselves down upon clothes laid to pledge by every altar and they drink the wine of the condemned in the house of their God. Fathers would commit, fathers and sons would commit uh, fornication with the same maid. How vile is this? I mean, there's a, the context here is a temple prostitution, and they lay down clothe, uh, clothes there as a pledge to, on the altars to their particular gods, and, and uh, these clothes are given as a loan. And uh, they were to be returned before sundown, and, and instead of obeying God, the loan sharks would use the pledge as carpets when they feasted in the temples. Idolaters would sleep in the temples and attempt to gain favor and fortune from their particular god or goddess to whom they were giving worship and adoration. The temples were used for this purpose. The sick flocked to the temple seeking a cure, believing that while they slept in the court of the temple, they're going to be healed. Or they come to the physician or priest by means of dreams. They drank the wine of the condemned in the house of their god, and in some way... They believe that it refers to wine that was derived in some way from those who have been wrongly condemned, such as Naboth. And the wine was oftentimes obtained by unjust practices, like extorting money from the poor, taking advantage of the poor. And here, in the vileness of what is going on in Israel and Judah, unspeakable evils. Now God condemns Israel's sin. Look with me at verses 12 and 13. But she gave the Nazarites wine to drink and commanded the prophet saying, Prophesy not, behold, 
I am pressed under you as a cart is pressed that is full of sheaves. Now, if you remember the Nazarite vow, which was given to Samson, Samson was given a Nazarite vow. Don't cut your hair. Don't drink any fruit of the vine. And yet they're giving the Nazarites, those who have made the Nazarite vow, they're giving them wine to drink in violation of the, com the commitment they made to the Lord. There's nothing, that, there's no commitment anymore. You know, when you think about this, <clears throat> most churches, a young person oftentimes becomes ser serious about serving Jesus Christ. They need to be encouraged in that way. But many times a young person who is serious for serving God, maybe an older person, an adult, is serious about serving God, and maybe they're called a Bible thumper, a holy Joe, or uh, don't talk to me. And here in the scripture, in verse 12, it says, prophesy not. This is not, as you go on this, and, and, and these terms here, the people are saying, don't give us the Bible, I don't want to hear it. There's a corruption of the prophets, and Christianity in general loves the world. Professing Christianity in our nation and in nations all around the world, they have a profession of Christ, but yet there's not a desire for holiness. They want people to speak, to speak smooth things. They love their false prophets. They love the wine and the strong drink. They hated the prophets who spoke God's word. And we come, I mean, they even commanded him, uh, to prophesy not, and then <clears throat> Asa imprisoned Hanani, Ahab imprisoned Micaiah, Zechariah was stoned to death. The prophets here in Israel and Judah under these wicked kings are tortured, persecuted, and if not killed. We don't want to hear from God. We don't want to hear what God has to say. We don't want any accountability to God. We are accountable to ourselves, will be to ourselves, and all that we want. And The same is true in churches today. Most churches do not, want to do not want the true preaching of God's word. They want things that will help uh, enforce a lifestyle that is in opposition of God, that whatever feels comfortable, scratching ears and these very things. And most of the Old Testament prophets would be bent on you know, the people's will over God's. But yet there were some men that stood out, as I have mentioned. Micaiah, you had Hanani, Zechariah. You have Amos here, and you have Joel, and Jeremiah, and Isaiah, and Ezekiel, and men that just are firm in their commitment to God, and, and they said, I'm going to serve God over saying what man wants to hear, and as you think about this, they, and so often, a number of other prophets would fear the people more than they'd fear God. They said, I don't care uh, what God says, but I don't want these people to be mad at me. I don't want these people to be angry at me. I don't want these people to dislike me. I have to say, there's a lot of pressure to, to give in when people are not liking us. I, I like to be liked, and I think all of us like to have people like us, and we like to be uh, around others in, in, you know, kind of a company. But I have to say, if, if God's word stands in contrast of where I'm at, and, and, I, and the actions I'm going to commit with those whom I'm around are in violation of God's word, then I got to stand with God's word over standing with the crowd. And what happened here is, behold, I am pressed under you, and it's a powerful metaphor here. And it's kind of like a load, like a cart is pressed, the cart. Have you ever had something, maybe a cart or a vehicle, and you've just put too much weight on it? I mean, it's just like, I mean, if there's leaf springs, if there's something on it, that cart is just squished. And it's trying to move. And it's hard for a farmer to carry such a heavy cart. And God was restrained 
it was kind of like God was restrained by Israel's sin and impenitence and is burdensome to pull this. And God had no pleasure in his dealings with the stubborn Israel. They didn't want to move. They were so weighed down with so much sin, they didn't want to move. Now, God would bring judgment upon them to move them. One gentleman, Guzik, said, It is the difference between the pleasure a parent feels in dealing with an obedient child and the drudgery a parent feels in dealing with a stubborn, rebellious child. God had no pleasures in his dealings with a stubborn Israel. The Bible teaches that each and every one of us have a free will. And we can resist God. We can hinder God's business, but ultimately God's eternal plan will be accomplished. And uh, Christ told Israel that he would oftentimes gather them as a hen gathers her chicks, but they didn't want to be gathered up. They didn't want to be under God. They didn't want to be under Christ. They wanted to do their own thing. In Amos chapter 3, verse 10, would you turn with me here, if you're still there in the book of Amos. In verse 10, For they know not to do right, saith the Lord, who store up violence and robbery in their palaces. I mean, stealing, giving, and taking bribes, this is occurring in the top echelons of politics. The very moral character of the people was defiled. I have to say, it's a sad situation here. Coming back to the book of Habakkuk, we find here, O Lord, how long shall I cry, and thou wilt not hear, even cry unto thee of violence. Do we not see a lot of violence in our day? In our own community, do we not see a lot of violence? Micah 6.12, Micah said, For the rich men thereof are full of violence, and the inhabitants thereof have spoken lies, and their tongue is deceitful in their mouth. The coveted fields, they take them by violence. Remember the story of Ahab taking the house from Naboth there in his vineyard and just stealing a vineyard. I mean, here is in the top parts of politics, people stealing from those who are lesser. Jerusalem was built with blood, Micah 3.10. They build up Zion with blood and Jerusalem with iniquity. Here is these places and things are moving and, and Jerusalem is progressing and there's a lot of building and a lot of programs going on to beautify the city, but it's built up by the blood of those with whom they've had violence. They store up violence in their palaces. There were beatings as Jeremiah, who's twice beaten during his ministry. Jeremiah chapter 20 and Jeremiah 37. There was murder, as I mentioned, in regards to Ahab and Jezebel and the men of Jezreel. Men of uh, Satan, if you would, children of Belial. Liars. As they would plot against Naboth to steal his vineyard, with which he told Ahab, I'm not going to sell it to you, because God doesn't want me to. There was the murder of children and, and sacrifice to Molech. And, and I have to say, a very similar thing that we see today in the murder of children is in abortion. That is, I mean, you're murdering children in abortion. It's murder. Some other things that we find in verse 3 of Habakkuk uh, 1. Why dost thou show me iniquity and cause me to behold grievance for spoiling? What is spoiling here? It's cheating and robbing because of covetousness. I want that. You can't have it. Okay, well, I'm going to either ruin it or I'm going to steal it. They're spoiling what you have. The rich spoiled the poor. The merchants spoiled their customers. The judges and lawyers spoiled anyone who came within their power. 
If you don't give me what I want, I'm going to take it by force or I'll destroy it. There's violence, there's strife, words of action, hatred, fighting, slander, division, turmoil. Is that not the case in our world today? I mean, you find all over particular social media and politics, and I mean, there's so much strife and fighting and conflict and families, all sorts of things are going forth. In verse 4, we also find, therefore the law is slacked, and judgment doth never go forth, for the wicked doth compass about the righteous, therefore wrong judgment proceedeth. There's strife. There's injustice. If you want to get a, a fair take of the law, I have to say, when we went through COVID, there was a lot of serious injustice. Every person was, treated, was supposed to be treated equally before the law. I'd like you to look with me at Exodus chapter 23, verse 6. God built into the Jewish system of culture that there was supposed to be justice, but it was supposed to be a fair justice. In Exodus chapter 23, verse 6, would you turn with me in your Bibles here? Exodus chapter 23, verse 6. Exodus 23, 6, it says, Thou shalt not rest, that word rest is to twist, distort the judgment of thy poor in his cause. Deuteronomy 16, 9, Thou shalt not rest judgment, thou shalt not respect persons, neither take a gift, for a gift doth blind the eyes of the wise and pervert the words of the righteous. Deuteronomy 24, 17, Thou shalt not pervert the judgment of the stranger, nor of the fatherless, nor take a widow's raiment to pledge. What is he saying? Because there's someone that has more money, they can give money to the legal system, they have more money to fight, and you have less money, and so you're going to be the recipient of an unfair justice system because someone has a greater amount of money than you do. And they can put upon you much greater uh, uh, financial uh, toil and fines and other such things that they don't have to go through because they have the financial wherewithal to back themselves against a crooked justice system. We're in the exact same thing today. And many times over. Witnesses were commanded of God in Exodus 23, 1. Thou shalt not raise a false report. Put not thine hand with the wicked to be an unrighteous witness. Don't give false testimony. If someone gives you a money, don't accept it. Because the moment you accept it, you have corrupted justice. No bribes were to be accepted. Exodus 23, 8. Look with me here if you're still in Exodus 23. And thou shalt take no gift, for the gift blindeth the wise and perverteth the words of the righteous. What if judges could be paid off? You're in a legal battle with someone or some, some entity, and you slip that judge some money to give you a favorable outcome. Would you want to be in that courtroom? I would have to say no. Those who were robbed or otherwise oppressed were to be repaid and healed. Look with me at Exodus chapter 22, verse 1. If a man shall steal an ox or a sheep and kill it or sell it, 
He shall restore five oxen for an ox and four sheep for a sheep. If you ruin something of someone's, you're to pay them back. That's the principle here. Verse 4, if the theft be certainly found in his hand alive, whether it be ox or ass or sheep, he shall restore double. Verse 5, if a man shall cause a field or vineyard to be eaten and shall put in his beast and shall feed in another man's field of the best of his own field and of the best of his own vineyard, shall he make restitution. If your animal gets out of the fences and begins to eat the crops of a neighbor, you've got to pay that neighbor back for the crop that was eaten. Responsibility over animals. Responsibility over others' things. Hey, you're looking out for the well-being of other people's possessions. Verse 9, for all manner of trespass, whether it be ox, for ass, for sheep, for raiment, or for any manner of lost thing which another challengeth to be his, the cause of both parties shall come before the judges, and whom the judges shall condemn, he shall pay double unto his neighbor. If you do damage to an animal, to their clothes, you've got to pay it back. Verses 19 and 20, looking further at this. Whosoever lieth with the beast shall surely be put to death. He that sacrificeth unto any god save unto the Lord only, he shall be utterly destroyed. Oh, that's Exodus 21, not 22. Exodus 21, sorry. If he rise again and walk abroad upon his staff, then shall he that smote him be quit. Only he shall pay for the loss of his time, and shall cause him to be thoroughly healed. And if a man smite his servant or his maid with a rod, and he die under his hand, he shall be surely punished. If you have an employee and you strike them or you're, you're in a fight with someone and you cause them to be disabled where they can no longer do their job, you are responsible for paying their wages until such time they're healed. God's saying, look out for the well-being of your neighbor. Look out for what they're doing. I mean, if you smite a servant or a maid or someone, you're going to be punished if you hurt those under your authority. Going on from here, offenders of the law were to be punished. Exodus 21, 12. He that smiteth the man so that he die shall be surely put to death. If you get in a fight with someone and you end up fighting and they die, you're to be put to death. Verse 22 of Exodus 21. If men strive and hurt a woman with child so that her fruit depart from her, and yet no mischief follow, he shall surely be punished according as a woman's husband will lay upon him, and he shall pay as the judges determine. And if any mischief follow, thou shalt give life for life. If you, uh, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for fit, foot for foot, burning for burning, wood for wood, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. <clears throat> if you end up getting in a fight and a woman gets hurt and her ba- she loses her baby, when she's pregnant, you're going to pay for it. If it's mischievous, where you're up to no good when this fight happens, like maybe a theft happens and the man's defending his home and uh, that baby dies, there could very well be your own life at stake to die. The principle is, remember the two greatest commandments, love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and love your neighbors yourself. You hurt someone, you're, you're injuring your neighbor. You're not loving your neighbor. You're not loving God and you're not loving your neighbor because every person's made in the image of God. And the afflicted and needy, they need our help. In Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 18, the Bible tells us this in Deuteronomy 10, 18. 
What, what a difference our society would have if these laws were to be exacted upon society. People had a responsibility and an accountability if you hurt someone and you cause them to no longer be able to work or keep them from working, then you will have to pay. If you did it in a, if you did it in a strife or some uh, you know, mischievous fashion. I think we'd have a lot, if there was greater accountability and greater punishment of the legal system against violators who are harming others, we would have a much different society. People would be concerned for the well-being of others. If, if simply put by just a reason of not getting uh, penalized. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 18, He doth execute the judgment of the fatherless and widow, and loveth the stranger, giving him food and raiment. The afflicted and needy are to be helped, the fatherless and widows. God says these are individuals who do not have the ability to provide for themselves. They do not have the ability to have someone to protect them. The fatherless, young children that do not have fathers that are overlooking them or fatherly figures, they don't have others looking out for their best interests. Fatherless and widows, a widow indeed, as Scripture would tell us in the New Testament. A widow indeed is a, a mother who... Particularly, or a widow indeed could be a man too, but in, in the particular case of speaking in Scripture, uh, as Paul writes, <clears throat> a widow indeed is a mother who was faithful to the Lord. She has no children that can take care of her. Maybe her children have passed or something's happened to them where they are no longer able to take care of her. So, but if, I mean, if a woman is a widow and she has children that can take care of her, her children are, are first responsibility is to take care of their mother. The Bible tells us in Isaiah 1.17, learn to do well, seek judgment, relieve the oppressed, judge the fatherless, plead for the widow. When Israel turns to idols from God, they turn away from the very ways into bribery, extortion, oppression, inequity, violence, spoiling, strife, all sorts of things are going forth because they have violated God's law. They no longer love God. They love idols, and idols are all about you. Injustice breeds violence and spoiling. Spoiling and strife breeds violence. Our world today is stricken with this idea that some uh, dominant culture is over a less dominant culture. And this continues to perpetuate year after year after year. And it's going to continue to perpetuate until Jesus comes back. But this idea of inequity, because there's idolatry in our land, people don't understand that human beings are wicked and wicked people do wicked things. And until the heart is changed, you're going to continue to see what we see in our society today. And it's not ever going to get any better by human means. In verses 5 through 11 of Habakkuk, coming back here, Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 5, Behold ye among the heathen in regard, and wonder marvelously, for I will work a work in your days, which ye will not believe, though it be told you. For lo, I raise up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation, which shall march through the breadth of the land to possess the dwelling places that are not theirs. They are terrible and dreadful. Their judgment and their dignity shall proceed of themselves. Their horses also are swifter than the leopards and are more fierce than the evening wolves and their horsemen. 
shall spread themselves, and their horsemen shall come from far, and they shall fly as eagle that hasteth to eat. They shall come all for violence. Their faces shall sup up as the east wind, and they shall gather the captivity as the sand. They shall scoff as the kings, and the princes shall be a scorn unto them, for they shall deride every stronghold, for they shall heap dust and take it. Then shall his mind change, he shall pass over and offend, imputing this power unto his God. God answers Habakkuk. He says, I'm going to judge you by the instrument of Babylon. He does use hyperbole or exaggeration as he gives forth this to emphasize how shocking it's going to be. I mean, it's, he's coming, haste, bitter and hasty nation. When that judgment comes upon you, it's going to be quick. God's going to use Babylon to judge his people. In the passage of Scripture here, he describes the character and the activity of Babylon. The lawlessness, the violence, judged by a lawless, violent nation. The preacher's uh, complete homiletical commentary writes, the Babylonians were completely unprincipled and lawless, making up their own laws as they went. How ironical that lawless Judah should be confronted with a real taste of what it means Mean, meant to be without the law of God or any vestige of its effects in society, end quotes. I want you to notice from the verse 6, what does God say? God says, for lo, I raise up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation. Who's doing the raising up here? Who raises up the opposition? Look with me at Daniel chapter 2, verse 21. We can fret over all sorts of things that are occurring in our world today. I want, to, I want you to think about even in Israel today when you had October 7th, that massacre that came on and 1,400 people were killed, hundreds of people were taken uh, captive. I think it's around 1,400, correct? I, I might be wrong in that. But anyways, a lot of, hundreds of people died, hundreds were taken captive, just a violent, awful, wicked thing. But I want to tell you, it wasn't a surprise to God. Israel is a vile, wicked nation, completely immoral. And God allows these very things to get the people's attention, to get back to God. In Daniel 2.21, and he changeth the times and the seasons, he removeth kings and setteth up kings. He giveth wisdom unto the wise and knowledge to them that know understanding. I want you to think about the society and the politics that we have today, God has allowed. God removes kings, he sets up. God puts in power who needs to be there. We can fret and fight all we want. The Chaldeans were an ancient people of Mesopotamia. Abraham's city of Ur was on the Euphrates, which was called Ur of the Chaldees. The bands of the Chaldeans would steal Job's camels and kill his servants. They mixed with the Babylonians, became indistinguishable from them. Nebuchadnezzar is called the king of Babylon, the king of, uh, the, Cal the, king of Babylon the Chaldean. They're bitter, they're hasty, they're cruel, they're impetuous. And, and Jeremiah really emphasizes the cruelty of them. Let me look at a few passages here. Jeremiah 6.23, the Bible reads for us, They shall lay hold on bow and spear, they are cruel, and have no mercy. Their voice roareth like the sea, and they ride upon horses set in array as men for war against the O daughter of Zion. Can you imagine a huge army of horses 
and soldiers behind screaming in a fury coming down upon your city. The incredible fear and dread and terror that would come upon you. As this warring, wicked nation judges the people that were supposed to be of God. 2 Chronicles 36, 17, the Bible reads for us, Therefore he brought upon them the king of the Chaldees, who slew their young men with the sword in the house of their sanctuary, and had no compassion upon young man or maiden or old man or him that stooped for age. He gave them all into his hand. I'm telling you, friend, as the scriptures write, I raise up the Chaldeans. God can very well raise up enemies in our lives, opposition in our lives, because there's some things he wants to correct in us. There's some things he wants us to get right with him. It is not a surprise to God the opposition that we very well may face in our life because God's trying to get through to us in a particular way and God was trying to get through to Judah and Israel of their idolatry, turn and repent of your wicked ways. Now I understand in other times, like Job's situation, uh, Job did learn some things, but also God was also praising Job. So, <clears throat> but in Israel's case, they had been warned by the prophets and they, and they said, don't prophesy to us. We don't want to hear when we get to that position of I don't want to hear what the Bible says, I don't want to follow what God has established and the order that God's established, I'm saying I am now readying myself for opposition from others that God may raise up enemies against me. Because I've hardened my heart to hear what God wants to say. I'm telling you, it's a, it's a serious thing to be at odds with God. And God always gives warnings. God always looks out for his people, but he's not going to condone sin. If you want to sin, God may well allow a more wicked person than yourself to come against you, to get you to correct. And I have to say, I think a part of what we had experienced during COVID was a, was a purifying time. I think it was very purifying for many churches. What is the essence? What is church? What is our, our affinity? What is our attachment to church? What is our attachment to Christ? What is our attachment to this world? Who am I going to allow to uh, tell, you know, who am I going to follow? And I believe it was a great purging time. It's also a preparation for the Antichrist that will come in the future. I don't believe very distant. But whatever the, the length of time it may be, God can raise up enemies. And if we're not sensitive to the Spirit of God, and we're not striving for holiness, we could very well be overcome and brought into great captivity and judgment. It is a scary thing, a fearful thing, to fall into the hands of a living God. Let us pray. Our dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this day. I thank you for your grace. Father, I pray that you would help us as we move forth to honor and glorify you. I pray we'd have a fear of God, a reverence and respect to keep ourselves right before you. Lord, I love you. And God, I understand that the nation and the government we have, is uh, you've allowed it. They're wicked. But Father, our nation is wicked. Our nation needs a great revival. Our nation needs a great saturation of the gospel and souls saved. Father, I pray you'd begin the work in our hearts and in this community. I love you. Thank you for what you've done and will do. In Jesus' precious name I pray. Amen. God bless you.